This is Audio Gyan and I am your host Kedar Nimkar. Welcome to a deep dive into the minds of luminaries from the Indian creative world. Audio Gyan presents Improvisation, a three-part series where I talk to artists to understand spontaneity, motivations to improvise, the process of it. and when does improvisation become part of the main set frederick nietzsche's famous line and those who were seen dancing were thought to be insane by those who could not hear the music in today's episode we'll be talking about improvisation in dance with avantika bal avantika is a dance practitioner and educator based in mumbai as an artist She works towards creating inclusive performances that can be accessed by larger community. Over the past few years, her choreographic choices have brought diverse voices and experiences to the mainstream. She studied at London Contemporary Dance School and completed Curriculum in Motion program offered by Jacobs Pillow. Avantika has master's degree in English literature and completed her level three certification in Indian Sign Language, which we'll definitely discuss. So, ah. Uh, Yeah, welcome Avantika to Audio Gyan. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for giving your time. Thanks for inviting me, Kedar. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Awesome. So yeah, as I said uh, before the recording started, this uh, I'm I'm trying to come up with like few uh, episodes which are like a series uh, in a form of a series, trying to explore what is improvisation in in different disciplines within the creative field. So with uh, dance, uh, I thought. we'll we'll deep dive into that but just yeah. at a at a meta level what according to you is improvisation it could be in general life or like is it generally happening or mostly happens in creative endeavors or have you pondered upon it your work definitely is quite improvised according to me we'll see what happens but uh, yeah yeah what what does it mean to you minus the dance context minus the dance context i feel uh, improvisation it's to me it seems like a state that feels a fluid dynamic it feels like a state where there's more spontaneity and there's um, just it opens up sort of space for more discovery curiosity uh, play and i think Yes, of course. Um, as a practitioner, improvisation, of course, is I look at it quite specifically in within the form. But when you talk about improvisation in daily life, it's also really like improvising to um, I don't know avoid your uh, child's fifth meltdown of the day, <laughs> you know, or it's a uh, kind of improvising to see how you can pack in. uh 42 hours in a 24 hour day etc so i think it's also like just you know just this idea of sort of it feels like constantly being on the go uh, in daily life hmm that's that's quite different take on it and and you have dabbled with mainly silence or mundane chores and sometimes just like whatever uh, clips uh, unfortunately i haven't experienced your dance like uh live but whatever mm-hmm. i have consumed online uh it seems yeah it seems different right so what do you like what do you call your form of dance like which category or genre does it belong or is trying to establish something new uh we'll we'll start off from there and then we'll see where we go 
So I think uh, I I would I would quite uh, specifically locate it in contemporary dance um, because I do also feel like contemporary dance is the one form that sort of leaves room for exactly this. You know, where you're talking about where you're not quite sure, you may not necessarily be able to identify what form the movement is emerging from, but it also is sort of uh, conceptual in nature it's uh it, you know it's got it's got some context um it's got it's not only just looking at technical movement but it's also sort of critically engaging with the form um and it can be multiple forms it doesn't necessarily you could also be a yoga uh, practitioner you could be um you know somebody whose uh relationship with the body perhaps emerges from not necessarily just dance in what we look at as traditional forms, but still find a language that's authentic and unique and honest. Uh, and I find that that's, that's where, you know, contemporary dance is able to sort of uh, embrace all these other almost non-defined, non-defined sort of performances and forms. Yeah. Hmm. Is it safe to say that there are directives and there are, formats and there are templates and there are defined boundaries in traditional ones and contemporary you are you're pushing the boundary further or how do you define them or how would you bucket them like traditional versus contemporary i i think uh i think great question i think the thing is with traditional forms obviously there's a very very specific structure that you're working with right uh whether it's in language whether it's in just movement technique whether it's um you know just uh, uh just looking at sort of what like the physicality and body as well uh and also got the repertoire of movement right um so that while it is quite rigidly defined in uh traditional forms contemporary dance what it does is sort of is gives one the freedom to be able to loosen those rules a little bit more having said that it doesn't mean that there are no there there's no structure there are no rules in contemporary dance obviously uh your point of entry and your preoccupations and your line of inquiry is what eventually leads the work to become a complete work uh but what it does do is that it just gives room to breathe outside of really fixed uh, definitions and pre-mediated structures. Hmm. Hmm. If if I may choose to go further abstract, so can then contemporary become traditional eventually? So if you look at the history of just dance in the West, uh, what was considered contemporary back in the day is now considered modern. And so basically, you know, for example, I think also, I find that contemporary, just the word, like just as the name suggests, it's also quite, it's quite um, rooted here and now. Mm. Uh, you know, it's it's what's happening today. It's what's being made today. Uh, of course, it does it it does carry some version of a legacy, but it's not um, it's not. Uh, I think the contemporary dance form is not necessarily sort of burdened by that legacy. Um, so if you, you know, so we had, of course, we had classical ballet and then 
many forms emerged from those which back then were considered contemporary and today are considered modern. So it's also the evolution of forms and how, you know, uh, what, how you're able to look back at what was being created by the, uh, back then. So yes, uh, I think what was contemporary then has now uh, become very structured forms that mm -hmm. are, that we call sort of uh, modern dance, etc. So yeah, quite interesting. So, so, okay. So, so what does it mean to improvise now in the context of dance, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Especially with your kind of uh, uh, style, uh, what okay. guides, what guides improvisation for you? Is it the body movement? Is it the music? Is it the location? Yeah. Story? So, no, no, story. Yeah. yeah, I was just okay. saying, uh, is it the story narrative? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think first I'll just sort of broadly define what improvisation means to me. And then I, so I'm going to answer this question in two parts. And then of course, talk about what are, what are some of the points of entry in, in, in improvised work for me as a maker. Mm -hmm. So I think first of all, like improvisation is when, I mean, we have spoken about this, but it is also when you're willing to sort of just stretch the prescribed preset boundaries a little bit. Um, I find that it's also sort of looking, it, it lends itself out a little bit beyond uh, a form that you may already carry in your body or a certain kind of knowledge that you may carry. Um, in some ways, I also find that it's exactly the opposite of sort of structured, predefined, premeditated movement um, that's, you know, that's perhaps designed in greater detail. Improvisation for me leaves room for spontaneity. It leaves room for uh, sort of just more sometimes instinctive responses, but also those that then lead to larger questioning of uh, uh, just being able to look at movement language, look at one's own movement language. So I find that improvisation leaves space and leaves room for that. Um, a lot of people do feel like, you know, it can be quite knee jerk. It can be, you know, very sort of just first, first layer. But I think there are, there is merit in that because there's also, I do find that some of the greatest discoveries are unlocked in improvising as well. And as far as what can lead to improvisation, it can be multiple things. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, looking at just sort of one initiating theme. Uh, it could be, like you said, it can be, you know, it can be very things. It depends also on what your interest is at that point. And uh, that could be the takeoff for, uh, you know, just being able to sort of develop a language within that aspect of that you're questioning in mm. your work. So it, it need not start from a narrative. Or what is like, what is the starting point then? You said it could be anything, but still like for it to take birth, there has to be some sort of a point, right? Yes, so of course. That's and, a necessary typically, because, yeah, hmm. it doesn't have to start with the narrative. It could be a piece of text. It could be a response to uh, architecture. It could be looking at, uh, you know, just uh, looking at art, visual arts, for example. It could be responding to music. Uh, I know that sounded, I mean, but when I said it could be anything, it sounds, uh, it's, uh, it sounds weak. But the truth is that actually when you are, if you are willing to respond 
to an impulse uh then and you can decide what the impulse is it will lead to sort of creatively moving in the direction of that response hmm hmm i i remember actually this is how audio can has kind of little bit enriched me because i remember uh, listening to one talk by dr ashok ranade and he yeah. said i think there are four or five stages of music and the first is the sheer desire like andar se aawaz aati hai ya whatever there is a thought there's a I, i forgot the exact word that he used but it was very beautiful and then it's humming and so on and so forth finally you land up in a song so yeah. uh, in here i think it's it's always a thought or a response is that fair to say i think a thought or a response or just a line of questioning i mean i i i could perhaps be interested in sort of looking at how my spine moves uh in hmm. in uh, whether i'm you know let's say under emo- like a, an emotional response of my spine what does that mean so when i'm upset or when i'm tense or i'm angry or i'm happy what does that do to my spine and therefore my physicality and that can sort of create a whole sort of rich uh language that's unique to me and i think that's what i find very fascinating about improvisation one it's very hard to repeat it's very hard mm. it it can't be taught what i'm improvising cannot be taught i can offer these as tools i can offer these impulses as points of entry for somebody else but exactly what my body does and how it's how it responds is not going to be what somebody else does hmm that's that's quite interesting because maybe we can take an example of your show uh, say what uh, mm. and and actually we'll come to that a bit later but when you said this like how do you what makes this performance or what this this act of dance uh, palatable because it's it, it's quite as abstract right so why should one watch it <laughs> I don't know I can't answer that question <laughs> why does mm. one I don't know I mean you, do you understand everything when you go to a gallery I mean when you're what when you're looking at an artwork mm. do you you know uh, especially something that's not necessarily uh, depicting depicting mm. a scenario or depicting nature uh, I think the beauty of um, uh the beauty of for me specifically contemporary dance is that it also leaves room for meaning making that can be very uh that's very individual and unique to the viewer um right so at the crux of it however i do feel that the for me specifically there what's important for me is just the human sort of just this very human connection mm. right uh there has to be something that the viewer watches and uh is able to take back not not maybe not necessarily emotionally but mm. also just have a moment of these are the things i experienced or these are the things i thought of when i watched this book mm 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 correct no i can i can sorry go ahead Yeah, I've also I just feel like it's also very hard to kind of uh 
you know you ca- you carry work with you you carry performances you carry you carry it back it's i mean i have never ever whether it's been a performance i've liked or not liked as much not thought about it even 3 days later you know it's things that kind of just the remnants of that sort of continue echoing in your mind and palatable or not i don't know <laughs> uh certainly it leaves some kind of imprint in in uh, in your heart i feel yeah 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 no i remember uh, interviewing uh, sogato bahaduri uh, and we spoke about what are aesthetics and uh, he he nicely mentioned that it's a finally a sensory experience so it it may or may not have a meaning to it and you yeah. may not even connect or there is no story or there's nothing it just it's just an experience and if nothing else maybe we can fall back to niche saying that they couldn't hear the music <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah. i think uh, exactly that i think it's also it's hard to define sometimes mm. you know a lot of uh, especially perhaps people who um, may not be watching as as many performance works may not have the language to be able to express why they like the work or didn't but there's no hiding away from how you feel what that how it moves you yeah you yeah know? yeah beautiful that also i can have a plug on my own show but uh, i have started <laughs> writing i have started writing a blog post called the larger context and mm-hmm. today's i think uh, today's as in like it, it i send a newsletter every monday and it was exactly the same that why do people don't like art uh, as in why why do they ask meaning when they look at art Uh, yeah. and it's on the same lines cool and and when we, when we compare traditional dance uh, at least from my knowledge there has been a lot of simplicity a lot of elegance a lot of effortlessness sahajta jisko bolte hain is yeah. i've seen that peculiarly uh, yeah. but when when i look at contemporary not that i have like done lot of watching but lot of viewing but i've seen because it's improvisation there is some sort of a inherent struggle or a conflict or i don't know there's something something which is happening quite different so have you able to spot it is it, is it like does it happen or why does it happen or or maybe to make that sort of an expression do you need to know some basic rules which can be bent later is it right. improvisation Okay uh so I'm going to try again answering this question multiple parts uh the first is just for you, just to kind of be able to also put out there that not everything that happens in contemporary dance is improvised right mm-hmm. uh because also uh, you know there's one which is sort of there's one kind of improv improvisation that's ephemeral that happens and there and there then it's gone that's it that's that's how long it lasted and there's another kind of sort of improvisation or deep diving or research or investigation okay that begins obviously with kind of maybe outside of a sort of a uh, very prescribed form but eventually it is structured so it does fall into structure right because even there will be some kind of rules or there will be some kind of uh you know um almost like uh qualities that will be set or uh some kind of uh just 
you know, uh, certain points that one has to look at. And within that, so and within that, you start the improvisation. So not all dance is only improvised, mm-hmm. uh, while some of it is. And while some of it might be the starting point, while improvisation might be the starting point, eventually the reason it becomes a whole and complete work is also because within that structures are put into place. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, to, be, you, to know the rules, you bend the rules, yes. But not all improvisation comes from needing to bend a rule improvisation i feel can also exist in itself as a whole it doesn't necessarily have to negate or doesn't necessarily have to uh challenge uh, yeah challenge or contradict something that's already been established because mm-hmm. the idea of improvisation is not as uh as an antithesis to what what's what's out there mm. it's 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 whole and complete in itself Mm-hmm. So while some improvisation is about breaking rules, um, other forms of improvisation is not. It's about it's just about using the starting point and seeing where that takes you. Mm-hmm. And and can it obviously it should happen, but still, what are your thoughts? So like while you are working on it, you are further pushing the boundaries, maybe on the fly or maybe during the performance or or any act of improvisation, would you classify that somewhere or it's still it's still in the same rhythm? So what I wanted to say was that you start off with a thought which is kind of improvised and then you play around everything. You choreograph the entire piece, but yeah. actual performance also you find, explore something, which typically happens in Hindustani music, right? You go that yeah. extra mile. So Will yeah. that be classified as the part of it, or it, it's improvisation within improvisation? I don't know. That's a, I I I don't know. I think that's also sort of um, it's. I think it's it it's what you make of it as a performer. You know, uh, at that point, I don't. When you're performing, I don't know how much. I'm thinking of uh, okay. I need to improvise within this uh, so that I can find more. But I think as a performer, one tends to also there is obviously that relationship with a viewer. You know, uh, it's very different from when you're in the studio and when you're uh, when you've got you know people watching you, and that mm-hmm. automatically unlocks certain things uh, in the performance that can further be investigated when you go back into the studio etc so at that during the performance i don't know if it's improvisation while there may be room in a performance that you know to say that okay this is see what you feel do do it there and then and see what comes up um Mm. you know but to go back to that again i feel like you keep going back to that uh to exactly this like go more vertical than horizontal with mm. each mm-hmm. mm. So can you take like say example of say what uh, uh, with a with your creative partner who's deaf? So like what was that? Uh, how did that come to be? Or what was the biggest challenge while doing these kind of experiments? Uh, and yeah. and I was reading one of your article. You also said like we just have to be still and dance. 
So, so yeah, I mean, can you give us a, I know yeah, it's extensively cool. documented, but yeah, maybe like first time something for me. Yeah. So say what, um, I actually started learning uh, the Indian sign language back in 2015 and I, uh, realized how visceral it is. And I also realized how sign language is, uh, it's not independent of, uh, uh, just your physicality so you can't only just locate signs in your hands and not have your body and your face involved mm. uh and for me, that for me that is just the you know that just, that just seemed like exactly some of the principles that dance begins with as well right because it's being able to kind of uh express without words it's being uh you know you're using your body you're using your physicality and um as I continued sort of uh, learning sign language, I found more and more um, that I got very excited by the prospect of seeing what happens when these two worlds collide, what happens when sign language and movement collide. And that's when I met Vishal, um, who is deaf, and he uh, was also, you know, he had been dancing, but he uh, sort of understood dance, of course, uh, very specifically because he was in a dance class that used to teach Bollywood when he would just follow these Bollywood steps on a one to eight count. Um, so for, I, I think also what he understood as dance and movement and where I came from, we had to first sort of find equitable ground with that. And also we had to kind of move beyond what I looked at, uh, you know, traditionally as movement and some of my, you know, what excited me as um, points of entry and also what excited him we had to sort of find ways for these two worlds to collide and something that lay outside of the realm of sign language and the spoken word so where do you then place communication you know how do we kind of how do we place it how do we create a space or a world where whether you're deaf or you're hearing, you can come watch the work and be able to take back, uh, you know, just experiences of just, just pure, simple human communication. And that was the crux of the work. It was about how the two bodies communicate hmm. in a space that really lies outside codified form. Hmm. Hmm. And and like how successful do you guys think you were like overall? I mean, it, it's it's quite a big case study. But generally, yeah. as an as a creator, as a as a performer, I think um, so. A couple of things. One, I find that what say what did was that it created a space for a mixed audience always, and we were very very particular about uh, the audience being deaf and hearing together mm-hmm. um and one i think what was interesting was that it really changed the nature of viewing for the audience because as hearing audience we are very used to kind of being seated watching the work in silence you know etc uh whereas uh you know when you're with when you're sitting next to a deaf person if their phone is going off or if they're kind of eating a chocolate they can't they don't they don't they can't hear what the sound that it's creating and so what it really did i think was to be able to also get 
the hearing audience to really listen and watch with their eyes as opposed mm-hmm. to kind of getting distracted by you know sounds around them uh which was and i think those really brought up questions of like privilege and you know access and uh, you know equal just equal arts etc so every time at the end of see what there would always be we'd open it up uh, to conversation with the audience and there were some very interesting sort of uh conversations around some of these ideas and around some of these sort of topics that you don't necessarily engage with unless you're put in a uh, you know in an uncomfortable position and mm-hmm. i think say what did make a lot of people uncomfortable so mm-hmm. uh yeah so in that sense and i think for me from that point on it did i got very very interested in understanding how can the arts be a little bit more inclusive more accessible more equitable what does that mean is it only for somebody who uh can afford a ticket and go into an auditorium or can can access be opened up and of course while i'm i'm not saying that uh, the world can be either or it's not about black and white but um, i've gotten more interested in just looking at works that are inclusive and accessible hmm it's so magical right when you start inquiry in some point there's some thousand doors open in different yeah. directions yeah, yeah yeah and and yeah. and what what did you mean when you said that we just had to be still uh, and dance i was very intrigued by that uh, sentence i think so vishal and i spent a year developing this work hmm. and i think by the end of it there was a very very deep listening connection that we were able to form uh we we sort of performed the work uh for a good two years after that uh post which unfortunately he he uh relocated to japan and um but there was so the entire work is performed in absolute silence mm. and at the most for most of the parts we are never looking at each other uh but there's also lots and lots of sections in the work where we are doing exactly the same thing so mm. if we were not still we wouldn't be able to really kind of gauge and sense each other's energy in the space to be able to sort of create this movement and move together as one unit mm. Mm. i i can i can't actually uh, imagine someone has to watch it to to understand uh, and and actually can if we can take a step back and like how did the how was the sign language learning uh, experience like as a as a creator as a performer as a maker like any any learnings any uh, insights that you have got after learning for yeah three three certifications well, um, well i think one is that i just i find that sign you know sometimes i i have been able to express myself better in sign language than oh. words i feel like with words sometimes there's a lot of cushioning a lot of sort of finding uh just finding the right words whereas with sign it's it's very clear it's the same sign it's how you show it so if there is a sign for anger 
uh, whether you're mildly angry, angry or just really uh, pissed off, it's the same sign. But how you how you do it is eventually what communicates the intensity of the anger. For example, um, and and for me, I thought that it really kind of it really brought me back to being able to just you know the principles of communication i know we don't i know i know we don't often think of that but also like um just the very very crux and the essence of communication lies in being very simply being able to say this is what i think mm-hmm. you know as opposed to kind of finding 20 uh nice words to cushion something mm-hmm. uncomfortable for example yeah yeah i remember when i was uh, so i'm from ruya college uh, bombay and yeah. uh, my director uh, back then he was quite quite an artist and one day he just went on a complete mourn for one year uh, he didn't speak uh, a single word and i think after 3 months we met and he was trying to communicate something and finally his father said uh, most of the problems in the world are due to lack of communication yeah. and yeah and and yeah. maybe he's trying to investigate that that what does communication even mean yeah yeah absolutely um i think the other thing i didn't answer was that what sign language gave me was the ability to be actually to be able to communicate with a deaf person and mm. um, you know uh, i don't a lot of people have asked me if I have deaf friends or family and I don't but that has I mean I feel like I don't know if that's enough to not want to learn sign language mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah cool I like it's been great I now I'll just change gears and we'll zoom out a bit and I wanted to understand like improvisation in not just in like uh, your particular work but in in your community or in your profession professional network right so why do dancers even improvise like uh, what's what's the kick in it or what's the uh, is it i mean as a as a very basic response or reaction to what i have observed is typically it's boredom it's there are multiple things obviously there's also creative endeavors to explore and push the boundaries but there are many facets to it. So in dance, what do you think? I I know it's it's not right to ask you as a larger community, but still, like, what are your how much how many dancers would resonate with you when you say what you say? <laughs> oh my god! I think uh, I I definitely don't think dancers improvise out of boredom, uh, but I think improvisation is is it can be a, a, an important part of one's practice um especially when you know you are sort of looking for the freedom of self expression in some form uh if you are perhaps feeling a little bit uninspired stuck mm. uh sometimes it's and sometimes I also feel like it's just for a bit of fun, you know, uh, who wants to only dance like technically, like, you know, just form yeah. based. Yeah. 
but also i think that the beauty of improv improvis improvisation is that it's not it doesn't necessarily have to be time bound mm. uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be taught so therefore it can feel like a very personal journey and a personal space of self expression hmm hmm is it because of the medium feels short or less sometimes the medium itself because there are multidisciplinary artists who then digress or, or not digress but transpire their work from one uh set up to the other is that fair to say um i i like in your like like in your case i couldn't ask because you you dabbled with uh, uh silence a lot right so and any layman would say that music and dance music goes with yeah. dance so so is it because you felt that music is inefficient or not sufficient so you went to I, silence no no i think I, i'll just i'll just circle back to say what the reason why i didn't keep music was because it would then immediately not be an equal performance mm -hmm. i mean half my audience wouldn't be able to hear what's happening my co-performer wouldn't be able to hear what's happening what's the point of that Mm. um but i i think i don't think necessarily uh you know yes sometimes maybe the form feels can feel stifling and perhaps that is that could be one of the reasons that somebody looks at improvisation for uh just uh perhaps unlocking uh a language uh that's unique to them i'm but i'm not I'm not sure. I don't know. I I, <laughs> I see like I do. I can't. I don't know how to answer this one <laughs> because it's okay. never. I think in performing arts, it does. It's usually not an either or. Mm. If somebody mm. decides that this is my line of inquiry, improvisation is. It's not out. It's not because they're not. There's not. Uh, there's not anything that they are getting from. Mm. another form or a form that they are you know kind of uh that they may have more knowledge in it's just also uh it's space for growth no like it's space mm. for just continuing to just correct right. yeah yeah no i i i agree with you like almost 100% it's definitely because of the line of inquiry it's it's what question you have and then you're just going along on that is your sort of thread which is tying everything together now if some other medium comes in if some other exploration comes in or if some improvisation happens happens but yeah the the line of inquiry is quite the tying thread to the entire yeah. act and quite often it comes from the form no because because yeah. you dived into the form you are going to have questions and that is going to make you want to look for answers that may be outside of uh what the form can offer you okay. could you also tell us little about look left turn right i was curious to know what what was the gig all about <laughs> so look left turn right actually had started sort of again many years ago it was uh, uh, also uh, when i had started 
thinking about how do you make work accessible? How is one reading a work? What is, uh, you know, uh, what, what are some of just the questions that I want to raise with my work and ask? So look left, turn right is actually a performance that is, uh, that happens at very busy traffic signals. And the idea is to really look like just disrupt daily life. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it's also for me, it was, it was a moment of, let's say a passerby encountering, uh, something that perhaps they cannot define, but encountering something that they, they don't usually. And it's that moment of magic that I was interested in. Mm. Uh, it's that moment of kind of, you know, uh, creating uh, and locating it in a particular context uh, that that seemed democratic to me. And what's more democratic than a traffic signal, you know? Mm. Um, so, uh, of course, these were also a series, uh, a series of structured impro uh, improvisations. And, um, it was, uh, we, uh, we would kind of, there were a group of dancers and we'd show up at different traffic signals and I'd give them, uh, you know, I'd give them a provocation. And, uh, that would be their kind of, uh, what they'd be exploring. And, um, those eventually became structures for, a larger work that was then performed durationally um, at traffic signals. Hmm. But was there a pattern to it or it was continuously improvised because every act would be different uh, because you're dealing with real life situation, right? It's not, yeah. there's no stage as such. So no. how did, how did you kind of orchestrate yeah. it? <laughs> so, well, okay. So there, obviously there were a few markers, um, so, uh, the the traffic sounds were the music. There were some identifiable markers uh, that, you know, that no matter what, if during the performance, those, you know, those sounds came up, everybody had to stop, every, you know, whatever they were doing and respond to that the same way. So we kind of built structures around that. Mm. And... Uh, Again, it was a lot of listening. The group eventually was working together a lot. They had to watch out for each other. They had to listen to each other. Um, sometimes it did feel a little bit like the deaf leading the blind because they were like, you know, that there'd be one person leading and then there's eight people behind this dancer. And they may have kind of crossed the signal and the road was clear then, but then they've, you know, they've left behind seven dancers who haven't been able to. So that's why the group really had to kind of find, again, this, re they had to become sort of this breathing organism that moved together. And, uh, and so they, they internally, of course, without, um, you know, as, as a unit would keep changing the structures as and when they felt ready. So they were defined structures. They were improvising within that. They had the, they had uh, the agency to move between them, change between them, but all of them had to make that decision together. Hmm. You have really improvised a lot. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll conclude with uh, one last question is that like, what according to you is like the future and future of dance or because you have ventured into some territories which I am totally unfamiliar to. 
so uh what's what's next for you and what's next for dance as a as a form also uh, have you given some thought about it um i think i think the moment that for me especially uh i feel like if you are able to look at dance outside of formal spaces that already opens up many many uh possibilities for the work that you may be interested in creating um so the future of dance definitely for me lies outside of ticketed auditoriums uh mm-hmm. it lies outside of uh you know venues that are traditional and formal uh and because of that uh the things that makers want to talk about will change as well and I, that's a lot of it like a lot of my uh, a lot of my peers a lot of uh you know practitioners who have been uh, uh making work for many 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 years i find that uh, also just the way that they're able to contextualize the work um is uh, uh, you know is uh, is quite exciting and it's quite enriching um for me <laughs> i want to continue uh sort of pushing what accessible work can mean for me in my line of inquiry and um yeah and see where that takes me <laughs> awesome all power to you uh, sorry i forgot to ask like one important question is that like what's like any any examples of your kind of work or any people who are doing this kind of exploration and and improvisation in dance uh, whom people can look up and and sort of google them <laughs> so I, i don't know about my kind of work there uh, you know there are a lot of like i said there are a lot of my peers and uh, practitioners who have uh, who have some you know who are currently making some incredible work so i think it's a very exciting time in india um i'm forever inspired by people who are making work who have made work um you know uh, because there's just there's just There, there's so much sort of research and there's so much uh deep diving into uh the creation of the work that watching it is always sort of moving me in ways that even I can never anticipate uh but I do have to say that the one choreographer who worked a lot with sort of improvisation in some sense even though it was in a larger structure was a choreographer called Mars Cunningham who used the who used uh you know who uh the what he called the chance encounters and uh, of course his own inspiration ca- came from his long time uh musician partner called John Cage uh who he had a very long standing successful relationship with um but he would you know Cunningham would make these like impromptu decisions uh based on the roll of a dice for example and that would decide how long the dancers will be on stage for how many dancers when are they entering when are they exiting so even the dancers didn't know what the work is going to become right uh, till the moment of the performance till they literally stepped onto stage and for me that those works are absolutely magnificent because you're coming in with 
you're coming in with your knowledge. You're coming in with your resources that you have placed, uh, you know, that you already have uh, uh, kind of the wisdom that your body carries. But you're also always coming in into a space that uh, is very, very uncertain. So Mark Cunningham did uh, a lot of his works were like that. And I, uh, uh, I, I, watching them has always been very exciting. Uh, more recently, there's a choreographer called Ohad Narin for, uh, who, uh, who sort of created the Gaga technique, which is now, of course, the technique. But it started with like it started uh, uh, with improvisation and uh, it is an improvisation-based movement language. And for, again, even within that spontaneity is the tenet of that. And it's also sort of based on this really quick response and a heightened sense of, uh, a heightened sense of listening. And that's the one technique that you may not necessarily have movement not, uh, you know, you may not necessarily have knowledge in movement of traditional movement techniques or expertise within that, but Kaga technique is one where you don't necessarily need that. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of sort of improvising again, and the technique, the form and the technique has been constructed around some of these very basic principles. Mm. Speaking about principles, I have one more last question is that. To, to reach this level of wisdom or level of performance, do you really, like what, what foundation has to be very strong? Because as, as a designer, uh, I keep struggling and, and I keep quoting uh, Miles Davis to my designers that it takes a long to sound like yourself. So yeah. you are mastering something, right? In this context, what are you mastering? Is it... I think you can't ever master it, but I think you do need a very, I think your relationship with your own body, you need to understand your body. You need to understand uh, and really the, the to be able to listen to your body and understand uh, its impulses, understand your own physicality. There has to be a very, um, very deep relationship. Um, that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I think on that spiritual note, I think we'll, <laughs> we'll conclude. Uh, thanks a lot uh, for giving your time. It was great talking to you and uh, all the best for your future performances and all your exploration and improvisation. It was Thank lovely you. talking to you. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much. Okay. That's it. And that's it from today's Gyan session. For show notes and more GAN, visit audiogan.com. And if you wish to connect with me, I am at audiogan moments on Instagram. Until then, take care.